Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny welcomes four-time best-selling Hay House author who wrote The Disappearance of the Universe trilogy, Gary R. Renard. Stay tuned as Sunny and Gary chat about the lifetimes when Jesus and Buddha knew each other, a history of mighty companions. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle, and usually 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma, but we are still under a pretty heavy stay-at-home orders here, so it's I think it's just in Seattle right now. But any in any event, we're always bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with joy, peace, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. Those are found at 1150kknw.com. You can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One. Um, and you can find out more about me uh, through my website, which is goldenoversoul.com. That's goldenoversoul.com. And just one little housekeeping to take care of before we bring on our guest today. Um, the Soul Digger Book Club will be starting up again on May 23rd. Um, we just finished Victor Frankel's Man's Search for Meaning. Um, and we're going to take a break this Saturday and then pick up again on Saturday, May 23rd, with Glennon Doyle's most recent book, Untamed. Um, most of my clients are raving about it. I myself have not been able to put it down. So it seems like a good place to go next for our book club. If you want to find out more and join us, that um, can be done by going to my website, which is, again, goldenoversoul.com under the events page there. Um, and you can register and uh, join us as we pick up again on Saturday, May 23rd at 10 a.m. Pacific. We'll be working on that book for four weeks. Um, okay, Benny, how are things up there at the studio? How is everything in Seattle? Uh, doing pretty good. Uh, I definitely don't want to be staying in place right now in the studio. Apparently our AC went out yesterday, so it's still a little bit warm here in the studio. So uh, Even only in May? I know, right? <laughs> well, it, it, apparently we have a little leak in our uh, AC system up in the ceiling, so they're currently working on it. Um, at least I chose the right day to wear a short sleeve shirt. You know, that's uh, a good yeah. thing, right? But um, that can't be good that, for the radio equipment. Uh, that's why I've got the door propped open. So if there's <laughs> a uh, you know a random, hey, what's going? On? You know that you know like kids. You know these days next door. You know <laughs> with the other stations. I apologize yes. in advance. No. Well, I always remember how cold it was in the studio. So that's uh, well. Anyway, hope they get that resolved for you quickly. Oh yeah, no big deal. So we're all good other than that. And um, yeah, I mean pretty much par for the course still. Yeah, I know. We just keep doing these check-ins. If anybody ever goes back mm -hmm. and listens to archive shows, you know, years from now, they'll be like, oh, my gosh, every week. Yeah, <laughs> the but Groundhog the thing is, is like, yeah, they didn't get it, and they will very quickly after <laughs> going through. Right. Well, anyway, glad to hear you're doing well. Thanks. And um, and hope the boys are staying safe and well as well. Yes, awesome. Thank you. Yes. Well, okay, let's go ahead and bring on our amazing guest today. Um, so many of you may already have multiple of his books in your personal library. It is Gary Renard. He is the best-selling author of The Disappearance of the Universe, Your Immortal Reality, Love Has Forgotten No One, and most recently, what we'll be talking about today, The Lifetimes When Jesus and Buddha Knew Each Other. He was born on the, north, uh, the historic North Shore of Massachusetts, 
And during the harmonic conversion of 1987, he heard a calling and began to take his life in a spiritual direction. At the beginning of the 1990s, he moved to Maine, where he underwent a powerful spiritual awakening. As instructed, he slowly and carefully wrote Disappearance of the Universe over a period of nine years. His books are now in 25 languages and growing. Dr. Wayne Dyer wrote in 2005, about uh, the disappearance of the universe, a book that is destined to be one of the most significant contributions to spiritual literature in this century. The message in Gary R. Renard's book, The Disappearance of the Universe, is of great importance to the healing of ourselves and our planet. Gary is also a winner of the Infinity Foundation Spirit Award. The award is given to a person who has made a meaningful contribution to the field of spirituality. Past winners include Ram Dass, Byron Katie, Neil Donald Walsh, Gary Zukov, and Dan Millman. Combining a disarming sense of humor with radical cutting-edge metaphysical information and experiential exercises, this acclaimed teacher of A Course in Miracles has been described as one of the most interesting and courageous spiritual teachers in the world. He's spoken in 44 states, eight provinces of Canada, and 30 other countries, many of them multiple times. Uh, you can find out more by going to GaryRenard.com. That's G-A-R-Y. R-E-N-A-R-D. Uh, Gary, welcome to Sunny in Seattle. Hey, Sunny. It's great to be with you. Yes, and I have to tell you, Gary, I it's been a long time since I've been a little bit nervous before an interview, and I was this morning because I feel like someone who has been teaching A Course in Miracles and has been such an intense student of it for such a long time, it just feels like um, my familiarity with the course just pales in comparison. And so I was being so diligent in preparing my questions and thought, oh my gosh, there's no way I can do this justice with 60 Minutes with Gary. So I just have to preface it by saying that I really want to honor your work as a teacher of this course and the books that you have brought through. Um, and I hope that I am able to, um, I guess, do this interview in a way that brings the material forth and and like a coherent way for the listeners out there who maybe like me aren't as familiar with the course. Right. Well, you know, I just feel like uh, whatever gets said is kind of like controlled by the Holy Spirit. So I don't worry about it. And I, I never prepare <laughs> for anything. <laughs> and I just let the Holy Spirit take over. And, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, there's certainly, you know, nothing uh, special about me. I kind of like believe in uh, Buddha's, uh, you know, middle path because, uh, you know, when he was young, he was very rich and that didn't make him happy. And then he tried to be very poor, being an ascetic on purpose, and that didn't make him happy either. So uh, eventually he decided on his uh, middle way, which is, you know, don't try to be anything extreme, uh, just try to be normal. And that's kind of like uh, my mantra, you know, don't forget how to be normal. So uh, if you, you know, kind of like met me somewhere, you might not even think that I was a spiritual teacher. You might just think that I was just some, you know, guy off the street who wants to talk about sports and uh, have a beer with you and, and whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I don't forget that, you know, it's okay to live your life. What A Course in Miracles is about is not so much about uh, changing your life, it's about how you're looking at your life. It's about being peaceful and forgiving and being above the battleground as the Course describes it. So it's really uh, more about your perception than it is about what you do. And the irony of that is that if you practice the kind of forgiveness that we're gonna talk about, 
then that allows you to be guided more by the Holy Spirit because you're undoing the uh, you know ego part of your mind that believes in uh, separation and you're allowing the part of your mind that believes in wholeness and oneness and uh, love and, and forgiveness. You're allowing that right part of your mind to take over uh, more and more. And that, in turn, allows the Holy Spirit to inspire you. In fact, uh, the word inspired comes from the words in spirit. Yeah. So uh, the more your mind is in a condition of spirit, the more you can be guided through life, which can be very practical. So at first, you know, on the surface, it may appear that what I'm talking about is a little bit out there. But uh, on the other hand, it can result in some very practical ideas and inspiration and guidance that can lead you to some uh, very good, very happy, and often very successful uh, things in the dream that we call life. Yes. And so you mentioned something a moment ago, and I'd, I'd like to kind of start there um, that you, you're just a regular guy that maybe you want to watch sports and have a beer with. Um, but th you have this other side or this the part of you that during the harmonic convergence of 1987, you heard this calling and then you moved to Maine. You in, underwent a powerful spiritual awakening. And then these ascended masters, Arden and Persa, appeared to you out of nowhere. And then that's when you really began the journey of writing The Disappearance of the Universe. So how did you how did you become that person or what was the journey like? I was particularly interested in the book about how you were guided to um, the uh, EST training and without $30 in your pocket to make the deposit, you started down that road, which ultimately led to where we're sitting here today having this interview. Do you mind sharing a bit about that? No, I'd be happy to. Uh... You know, if you were to meet me when I was in my 20s, I don't think that you would have wanted to know me. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, I was in a very bad state. I was extremely depressed. And uh, it was really a, a miserable existence. I hated people. I hated life. Uh, I even hated God. Uh, I remember when my parents died, I was so angry at God because I couldn't you know, really understand how God could allow all these uh, terrible things, you know, to happen to very good people. And my parents were very good people, and uh, they, you know, died some pretty painful uh, deaths. And I was very angry at God, and I don't think that I would have uh, really survived, except I had one friend left. Uh, his name was Dan. And he practically dragged me to do this thing that you mentioned called the uh, S training. And that was really my beginning in spirituality. Uh, I had become a little interested in spirituality because I wrote a, uh, you know, a couple of you know, short stories. And I don't know why, but when I did that, I felt like there was another you know, part of my mind that was taking over, uh, almost like channeling. Mm. And... Uh, when I did the S training, it was exactly what I needed. I, I don't have time to explain it, but it was my beginning in spirituality. I had uh, read one book by Herman Hesse called Siddhartha, which uh, was a great, fascinating book, and it got me interested in spirituality. And to show you how new I was to spirituality at that time, I read the whole book, and I didn't know that it was about Buddha, <laughs> you know, even after I read the book. <laughs> I didn't know that it was about Buddha. So uh, that shows you how new I was to this whole thing. But 
I got on a spiritual path and it really did change my life. Uh, I can't over uh, emphasize the importance of having a thought system because your mind will run wild if you don't tame it. You know, it's right. like an animal. And if you don't tame it and if you don't train it, uh, it's going to run wild. And, uh, you know, I was definitely in a condition where I had a mind that was running wild and I didn't know that. I thought that I was having these depressing thoughts because I was depressed. Uh, actually, the reason I was having all these uh, bad thoughts was because of the thoughts that I had been having previously to that. Uh, you know, people think that they're thinking a certain way because of the way that they feel. It's actually the other way around. Uh, you're actually feeling the way that you are because of the thoughts that you have had uh, in the past. So you're actually creating your own experience right now with the thoughts that you are having right now. That is what will result in how you think and how you feel in the future. So it's very important to uh, have you know, some kind of a uh, discipline. And uh, Est gave me my first uh, thought system. And I was lucky I fell in with some good people and it was a good thought system. And uh, it wasn't as great as The Course in Miracles, which I'll get to, but it definitely was what I needed at the time uh, to help turn me around. And by the time I got to A Course in Miracles, I had been on a spiritual path for about 15 years. And aside from as I had experimented with all kinds of things, uh, I started meditating. And I realized when I started meditating that I just knew how to do it. You know, I, I didn't get any training. I didn't study it. I just knew how to do it. And I kind of sensed in a way that I was remembering how to do it, you know, from some place in time in the past that I wasn't aware of at the time. But as I went along, I started to have experiences that I had never had before. Uh, there's this, you know, kind of like place that I call the in-between zone where I'm just uh, dozing off to sleep and I'm not quite asleep and I'm not quite awake. It's kind of like I'm in between. And I noticed after a while, when that started to happen, I would see visions. And uh, at times, they got so clear, it was like watching a movie in color. Mm -hmm. And sometimes with sound. And I was like being uh, transported in my mind back to uh, other times, maybe 3,000 years ago in Egypt, or 2,000 years ago uh, at the time of Jesus. And I, I kind of like intuitively knew some of these people from this lifetime. I knew who, who they were. Uh, in this lifetime, because often when you have uh, a mystical type experience, there's an intuition that goes along with it. And the Holy Spirit is kind of like telling you what it means and who they are. And I started to have more and more of these kinds of experiences. And I did move up uh, to Maine from Massachusetts, because in that 15 years, I had become uh, pretty successful as a guitar player. And uh, I went from kind of like being a depressed person who didn't work at all to being a relatively happy person, living a normal life, who got married. And I was uh, in a band that was successful. And I played literally uh, thousands of gigs in the 1980s. And uh, I got to be pretty well known and successful. But I realized, oh, after seven or eight years of doing that, that it wasn't fulfilling me, that, that you know, doing uh, nothing didn't make me happy mm. and doing all kinds of things uh, that didn't make me happy either. I still felt like something was missing. 
And, uh, you know, a lot of people feel that way. I mean, I've talked to billionaires since I moved here to uh, California who feel like something is missing, and they tell me that. And uh, I say to them, well, that's because something is missing. And I say to them, a quote from A Course in Miracles that says that a sense of separation from God is the only lack you really need correct. Yep. You know, if you could correct that one real lack, which is symbolic of all the others, then eventually you would not feel any lack. You know, you would always feel fulfilled and, and taken care of and provided for and full and whole. So uh, people are actually working on the wrong problem. You know, they're trying to, you know, solve the, uh, the condition of lack outside of themselves by, you know, getting something or doing something or having some kind of an accomplishment or possessions that they think will fulfill them. And of course, uh, it doesn't work. You know, these billionaires have more money than they could ever spend, and it still doesn't make them happy. But there is a place in your mind that will make you happy, and that's when you undo that idea of separation. Uh, separation from what begins as the separation from God, and then the separation that people feel, this isolation that people feel from each other and uh, from all of creation. And, uh, you know, what's really going on in the world right now is a perfect symbol of that, this whole uh, coronavirus thing. And it starts out with people, you know, separating themselves in quarantine. But uh, the ego, which I'm going to de describe at some point here, uh, the ego loves it. The ego loves separation. It's the wrong part of your mind that believes in separation and actually wants separation because uh, separation leads to judgment, and judgment is what keeps the ego going. It's based on separation and judgment. But the right part of your mind, where the Holy Spirit abides, uh, does not believe in separation. The Holy Spirit can see our dream. The Holy Spirit can see our illusions, but the Holy Spirit doesn't believe in them. And that's the way that we want to think. If we want to return to spirit in our experience, which is our reality, then we want to think the way that the Holy Spirit thinks. And the Holy Spirit does not believe in separation. The Holy Spirit comes from a place of oneness and wholeness and love and forgiveness and non-judgment. And when you start to think like that, you're literally making more room in your mind for the Holy Spirit to move in and kind of like take over. And you're undoing the wrong part of your mind, which is the ego. Now, I wasn't ready to uh, really learn about A Course in Miracles during that first 15 years that I was on a spiritual path. I had to be prepared for it. Uh, a Course in Miracles is not really for beginners. It's a quite advanced uh, spiritual path for someone to be on. And uh, what happened was at the beginning of 1992, I was meditating in my living room in Maine and uh, I was not happy at that point either. Things were not really going good for me in Maine. I, I was kind of like the city boy, and I had moved to a place that was very much uh, rural. And, you know, I couldn't fix the ride on lawnmower or do any of the normal things that people could do up there. So I was kind of looked on with great suspicion <laughs> by the people <laughs> there. And because uh, I was, you know, like someone who just didn't fit in, and I wasn't really happy there. And I was actually thinking of going back to the Boston area and playing my guitar because I knew that I could do that. And uh, I remember oh, a couple of months before the events that are described in the disappearance of the universe began, 
I took my guitar out of my closet and I started practicing because I was intending to go back to Boston and starting to play the guitar again. And so I'm playing the guitar, I'm practicing and both of my hands were occupied. And all of a sudden I felt another hand and this hand started pushing down on the neck of the guitar and pushing it down toward the ground and me along with it while I was still trying to play it. And it was actually pushing me all the way down to the ground. Now, I'm the kind of a guy who looks for signs. And that was a sign. And the sign was uh, one word, and the word was no. (laughs) Uh, That's not what you're supposed to do anymore. There's something else that you're supposed to do. And uh, I trusted that. I didn't know what it was. But I kind of hoped that maybe it was uh, connected to this, you know, friendship that I felt toward Jesus. Because even though I'm not a religious person, you know, I've never gone to church much and I don't believe in uh, conventional religion. I like to say today that I consider my work to be spiritual, but not religious. And uh, at the same time, I always felt this friendship uh, ever since I was a little kid. You know, I would talk to Jesus in my mind. And I felt like he was my friend. I felt like he would, uh, you know, help me and uh, give me advice through my mind. And it wasn't until much later when my teachers told me, well, the reason you always felt like uh, you were his friend was because you were his friend uh, 2,000 years ago and you knew him. And uh, that's why you've always felt that way about him. And I remember it was uh, Christmas week in late uh, 92 in Maine. And I was sitting in my living room and uh, I was meditating, which I had become pretty good at. And I felt like I could get to the point where I could achieve like absolute stillness, you know, where there were no interfering thoughts, which uh, was a good prerequisite for me doing a course in miracles because I was already, you know, starting to get some kind of discipline uh, in the mind. But I opened my eyes and there were two people sitting there on my living room couch. Hmm. And uh, I know that sounds uh, pretty out there, but since that's happened, I've come to realize that these two beings that appear to me and still appear to me every now and then to this very day, and this was like, oh, you know, 27, 28 years ago when it started. And uh, what they really are is the Holy Spirit appearing to me as people. Uh, when you start to learn A Course in Miracles, you start to Uh, learn that everything that you see is symbolic. And uh, that's because there is no reality in the dream. And uh, everything that you see is symbolic, and it's symbolic of one of two things. It's either symbolic of your wrong mind, which is based on separation, or it's symbolic of your right mind, which is based on oneness and wholeness and forgiveness and the way that the Holy Spirit thinks. And uh, A Course in Miracles even says that there are uh, teachers of teachers what I might call an ascended master who has uh, completed their lessons. You know, they've become enlightened and they return home to God, which is where we are all going eventually. You know, and uh, we're all going to awaken from the dream and we're all going to awaken to where we really are, which is at home with God, which is actually a constant truth that we've never really left except in dreams and delusions. And uh, it may seem real, but it's not. There's only one reality. 
and reality is a constant. And uh, constant uh, is a good way to describe reality, not just the way that A Course in Miracles describes it, but even the way that the Buddhists and the Hindus have described it at times. Uh, there's the uh, world of illusion that is always shifting and changing, always moving. Uh, and the uh, problem with that is because it's always changing, you can't depend on it. It's uh, chaotic. You don't know what it's going to be like one minute from now. Anything could happen. But there is a reality that is just beyond the veil, just beyond the veil of illusion, uh, just beyond the dream of time and space. And this reality is a constant that does not shift or change. And this is the reality of, of heaven. It's a uh, thing that is timeless. It is eternal. And it's possible to experience this reality even while you appear to be here. You know, even while you appear to be walking around in the body, once in a while it's possible to have experiences of your perfect oneness with your source, yeah. of your perfect oneness with God. It's the uh, great mystical experience that the masters of history have talked about, where the body and the world just seem to disappear. And what is left in its place is this brilliant abstraction that is so beautiful and perfect that you can't even put it into words. And it's possible to have that experience, and it's possible to have experiences that are symbolic of reality. And these two beings who appeared to me, uh, who were symbolic of the Holy Spirit, began to teach me the uh, fastest way, as they put it, to undo the false part of your mind, the ego, and to experience more and more your reality as the perfect being that God created you to be. So, uh, you know, I was all of a sudden being given ideas and experiences that were quite surprising uh, to me, and uh, especially considering the fact that I didn't consider myself to be really that spiritual to begin with, and then all of a sudden I was having all these spiritual experiences. Mm -hmm. And uh, my teachers, whose names were Art and Persa, uh, they appeared to me, oh, about 17 times over a period of nine years, and it's those experiences that make up my first book, uh, The Disappearance of the Universe. And over the years, they would go a couple of years without appearing to me. And uh, But then they would come back and they would do another book, maybe appear to me off and on for a period of a year or two and uh, give me the material for another book. And they'd go away for, you know, sometimes even three years. Then they'd uh, come back and give me another book. And I thought after the third book that maybe that was it, you know, that they were uh, finished and uh, that it was a trilogy, and I really didn't know uh, if there was going to be a fourth book. But uh, by then I had become pretty good at talking to Art and Persa in my mind, because to me, as I said, they are the Holy Spirit, you know, appearing as Art and Persa, uh, taking on a symbolic form. Uh, you know, the Course says about ascended masters, they will appear when and where it is helpful for them to do so, uh, because they teach, uh, you know, you, uh, this advanced form of spirituality that A Course in Miracles is teaching. And it doesn't have to come to you in the form of A Course in Miracles. I mean, I don't make the Course into any kind of a thing where, oh, you got to do this or, or you got to do that. You can find the same truth, uh, perhaps in, in the Vedanta, uh, even though it, uh, Hinduism is not really non-dualistic. There are parts of it that are. Mm -hmm. uh, the same with Buddhism. You know, you can find aspects of it that believe in this uh, perfect oneness that is uh, reality. And, uh, 
you know, I got to talking to Arden and Carissa in my mind. And whenever they appeared to me, sometimes I was so excited that I would forget to ask them, you know, something that I wanted to ask them. And I remembered after the third book, I forgot to ask him this question. And I said, well, wait a minute, you know, uh, how did Jesus get to be Jesus? I mean, how did Buddha get to be Buddha? I mean, what were they like in the lifetimes just before they were Jesus and Buddha? You know, because by then I'd been taught that the whole virgin birth thing was, you know, just a story. And uh, some of the things in the Bible are true and some of them are not. And so I said, well, you know, what did they study? What were they like? What were their, what were their experiences like in those lifetimes leading up to them being Jesus and Buddha? And uh, the answer to that question from Art and Persa turned out to be a lot more than I had bargained for. Yeah. Because uh, the answer to it turned out to be a whole book. And uh, the book is called The Lifetimes When Jesus and Buddha Knew Each Other. And uh, Art and Persa actually told me about six lifetimes when they actually knew each other before they actually lived that final lifetime where Jesus was Jesus. So, uh, you know, that was a total surprise to me. And I was given all kinds of things that I didn't even uh, know about. And I do want to emphasize that I could not have written uh, my books without Art in Person and without A Course in Miracles. There's no way that I would have uh, thought of it or conceptualized it. Uh, I'm the student uh, in the books. You know, I'm not the teacher. Yeah. And yes, I do uh, put in my two cents worth in, in the conversations, and I do the best that I can to hold up uh, my end. But the truth is that I could not have uh, even learned A Course in Miracles, much less written these books without some serious help. Yeah. And uh, I definitely had some big time help uh, as I went along, which I'm very grateful for. And uh, you may also notice that uh, you know, I'm a, you know, very much an introvert, and I never would have thought of myself as being a public speaker. And yet, uh, after my first book came out, even though I refused to speak in public the first six months <laughs> that my book was out, uh, my first publisher said to me, uh, he said, look, Gary, obviously you're saying that these are your true experiences. And I was actually considering publishing my books anonymously of not even putting my name uh, on the cover. That's how much I wanted publicity. I didn't want any publicity. And uh, he said, look, you know, people are going to have questions about your experience. And if you don't answer those questions, they're going to make up their own answers. And th those answers probably won't be true. So unless you want uh, the way that people think about you to be shaped by rumors and innuendo and conspiracy theories, then you know you're going to have to, uh, you know, stand up and take responsibility right. for your experiences, and that made sense to me. And I really didn't want to do it, but I did, and I was so surprised at how positive the people were and how kind and supportive uh, the people were when I did finally get in front of them and speak and answer their questions. Uh, it turned out to be a very good experience, which I wasn't really expecting because I was very nervous the first time or two. But I learned how to put the Holy Spirit in charge eventually. And once I really did that and was coming from a place of letting the Holy Spirit speak through me, then I realized that I wasn't really nervous anymore. And uh, that changed everything. Yeah. There's a big difference 
between trying to do things on your own. And if you do them on your own, then without realizing it, you're actually reinforcing the idea of separation in your mind. But if you kind of like join with the Holy Spirit and do things with the Holy Spirit, then you're actually undoing the idea of separation in your mind because now it's not your responsibility anymore. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. And you'll notice in my first book that Arden Kirsten even said that to me. You know, they said, Gary, uh, the book is not your responsibility. It's the Holy Spirit's responsibility. And that made me feel better because now oh, I, it's not all on me. In fact, if I'm thinking correctly, it's not on me at all. Uh, it's really the Holy Spirit's responsibility. And yeah, I play my own, you know, kind of like small part, kind of like an actor in a play. You know, I don't even think of myself as being Gary anymore. I, I just kind of like, you know, think of myself as being uh, an actor who's playing a role. And the part that I'm playing is called Gary but it's not me and i'm what the course would call above the battleground you know I'm, I'm looking at this whole thing from a higher place it's like i'm not stuck in it yeah and i'm not at the effect of it yeah and, and gary uh, i'm gonna jump in real quick here because usually we take a break um and i'm gonna ask benny if you're there can we just forego our break today and just continue the conversation since it's i'd, I'd hate to interrupt the flow yeah it's a great conversation keep it rolling Okay, good. So, Gary, we've got permission to continue on till the end of the hour without a break. Um, yeah, so I'm sorry I interrupted you, but you said it brought you uh, uh, basically above the battleground to be able to do that, to put it in the hands of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's right. And uh, the experience of being above the battleground comes about as a result of choices that you make. Now, uh, we look out at the universe of time and space, which, by the way, is a projection that is actually coming from um, us. It, it's like a movie theater. And uh, you're sitting in the movie theater and your attention has been diverted to the screen. And after a while, you know, and this is very much like the story of Plato's cave. Uh, after a while, you get so used to observing these images that you forget that they're not real. And you start to get uh, kind of like sucked into the story. And you forget that what you're seeing is not true. And you start to make it real in your mind. And as soon as you make it real in your mind, you're at the effect of it, and it can affect you. So uh, there are two ways of looking at this. Now, A Course in Miracles, just to very briefly you know, give you the uh, two-minute version of something that takes me usually five hours <laughs> to talk about. It's like, uh, we'll say that there are really just two things to choose between. You know, We see a trillion things to choose between. There are really just two things to choose between. Uh, there's reality which is true, which is God and his kingdom, which is why the Course says, be vigilant only for God and his kingdom. That's reality. Then there's everything else. You know, it may look like there are a trillion things, but there's only one thing because none of them are true. And that untrue thing is the illusion. It's the dream of time and space. Now, the ego wants you to believe that separation is true and that you really separated yourself from heaven, but you haven't. The truth is, uh, heaven is here uh, right now, and the truth has not gone anywhere. Uh, it's still here, and you are still in heaven, and you've never left, which is why uh, the atonement principle, according to A Course in Miracles, is that uh, the separation never occurred. So the Course says that you are at home in God, dreaming of exile, but perfectly capable of awakening to reality. 
and it is that awakening that is reality. You know, that's the reality that Jesus awakened to. That is the reality that Buddha awakened to. And uh, it's right here, right now. It very much reminds me of something that Jesus said 2,000 years ago that you can see in the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, the disciples go up to Jesus, right? And uh, we said, you know, uh, when will the kingdom come? And, you know, Jesus looks at us and he says, well, uh, the kingdom will not come by watching for it. It will not be said, behold here or behold there. Rather, the kingdom of the Father is spread out upon the earth and people do not see it. And what he's saying there is that, uh, you know, it's not some distant place. It's here right now. Reality is here right now and people do not see it. And what he elaborates on in A Course in Miracles is that the reason that people don't see it and experience it is because it's out of their awareness. You know, it's not that it's not there. It's just out of their awareness, which is why uh, A Course in Miracles in its brilliant introduction uh, talks about removing the blocks to the awareness of love's presence, which is your natural inheritance. Now, this is where you have to realize that A Course in Miracles is a very big teaching. Uh, when it talks about your natural inheritance, your natural inheritance is nothing less than the kingdom of heaven, you know, the kingdom of God, and it's yours. And it's your natural inheritance because God gave it to you, and you can't lose it except in dreams, and uh, you don't have to earn it the way that most people think because it was a gift. You know, if uh, somebody gives you a, a Christmas present, you don't have to earn it. You know, it's yours. It was given to you, but you do have to awaken to it. And you awaken to it by undoing that which is covering it over. It's kind of like there's this uh, you know, thin veil of illusion that is covering over the truth. And we'll call that thin veil of illusion the ego, which uh, is something that actually likes this idea of separation because separation breeds judgment. And it's judgment that keeps the ego going because it is based on the idea of separation. So the ego uh, actually wants to keep this idea of separation going. And the Holy Spirit is teaching us, look, there's a better way. There's a better reality, which is your uh, natural way of being. And uh, you would be much, much happier. And it's like on a whole new level of life that you're not even aware of. In fact, the Course teaches that what we're experiencing here uh, isn't even life. It's like a parody of life. You know, it's like a poor excuse for life. And that our real life is at home in, in heaven with God. And uh, we can experience that to the point where we can undo the ego so that pretty much all that we're experiencing, you know, like Jesus at the end of his life, all that he was experiencing pretty much was his perfect oneness uh, with God. And once you've learned all of your lessons and forgiven everything that you need to forgive, and you're experiencing God pretty much uh, all the time, then when you finally pass away and you uh, lay your body aside for the final time, as the Course puts it, then you will uh, ascend to God and your experience will become a permanent experience with God. It will be your permanent experience of uh, perfect oneness. And it's actually possible for you to get a preview of what that's going to be like. The uh, Course in Miracles calls that experience uh, revelation. And we have to remember that the Course uses words, you know, a little bit differently than other people. But uh, you can actually have that experience. 
of your perfect oneness with God. And uh, when you have that experience, you will never go back because that experience blows away anything that this world has to offer. You know, it, it's uh, perfect. There are no problems. It's unlimited. Uh, it's bigger than the universe of time and space because what you really are is something that cannot be contained by the universe of time and space. It is infinite. Uh, it is uh, timeless. There is no past or future. Uh, you're completely taken care of and provided for. There is no lack, uh, no problems. It's a very orgasmic experience. Uh, our you know, sexual relationships in this world are simply an attempt to replicate uh, your experience with God, uh, which the Course describes as intensely personal, but the Course teaches that uh, physical closeness uh, cannot achieve it because true union is only possible at the level of the mind. And uh, with God, it's a constant experience. It's something that doesn't fade or uh, diminish. So there's really like no comparison between your experience with God and your experience with the world. Uh, your experience with the world is nothing but uh, problems, you know, one after another, because the ego wants to trick you into thinking that your problems are real and that there's a real world out there full of real people who you really have to uh, either take care of or take care of yourself against. And uh, the Course is saying, well, actually, none of that is true. And it's possible for you to transcend that through forgiveness through a certain way of looking at it that will lead you to this experience of reality. Mm -hmm. So what the Course does is slowly but surely undo the ego. Now, this is done over you know, a pretty long period of time. Because reality is an experience that we are not prepared for right away. And so you go through kind of like a uh, metamorphosis. Uh, it's very much like a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. You know, a, a butterfly is like a higher uh, life form, except, you know, this life form has no form because it's totally abstract and unlimited. So there's no borders or limits or edges to it. It's perfect oneness. And uh, you have to be prepared for that because reality is so different than what we're experiencing right now. So that's why the ego is undone gradually and your experience will start to change gradually. Maybe your body will start to feel lighter. You know, maybe you will start to feel like uh, there's a figure in a dream that it really is instead of this thing that you have to carry around. Uh, maybe it will become more difficult to hurt it. Uh, maybe you'll get in a little accident and you'll hurt yourself except it doesn't hurt. And you'll think, wow, you know, that's weird. I mean, that should hurt, but it doesn't. And what's happening is that your experience is shifting from the experience of being a body to the experience of being the spirit that you really are, which is why uh, one of the you know, classic lines that you find in A Course of Miracles is that I am not a body, I am free, for I am still as God created me. But if you're still as God created you, well, then you're still there at home in heaven with God because God doesn't do differences. You know, God doesn't do uh, separation. You know, God only does perfect oneness. And the reason that we want to think in terms of perfect oneness is because we want to think the way that the Holy Spirit thinks. And the Course says about the Holy Spirit, you know, everywhere the Holy Spirit looks, he sees himself. Because the Holy Spirit overlooks people's errors instead of judging them and making them real. Uh, the Holy Spirit overlooks the mistakes that people make 
And I'm not saying that you don't behave in a normal uh, fashion in the world. You know, once in a while, you may want to do something like if you find out that uh, your next door neighbor is abusing their children, then you may want to call the authorities and, and tell them what's going on. Uh, but you don't do it alone. You know, you consult with the Holy Spirit in your mind and ask what the best uh, course of action is. But what you're doing now is that you're looking at it the way the Holy Spirit looks at it. In order to do that, and I'll, I'll give you like the one minute uh, primer on forgiveness. As <laughs> soon as you find yourself reacting to something in the world, like, uh, oh, you're afraid of getting the uh, coronavirus, or you look on your TV and you see all the conflict that this is resulting in, because that, we mentioned that the ego loves separation. Well, the ego loves conflict. And you are going to see conflict out there on the screen uh, because it's based on separation and, and conflict. And your job, which is something different than most of the people in the world, probably what 99% of the people in the world are doing, is judging it and making it real. Your job, according to the Course, is to not make it real. You don't forgive people because they've really done something. You forgive people because they haven't really done anything, because it's your projection, because it's your dream, which are synonymous in the Course. And the dream is not being dreamed by somebody else. Uh, if you forget that you're dreaming, then you're at the effect of it, and it will affect you. But if you remember that you're dreaming, if you remember that it's your dream, now you can look at it differently. You can say, oh, wait a minute. I'm the one who made this up because I was believing in the ego that believes in separation. But now I know better. And instead of judging it and making it real, I'm going to overlook it. And instead, I'm going to think of that person as being what they really are and where they really are, which is this perfect, innocent creation of God. And that is why 2,000 years ago, Jesus looked at everybody the same. Uh, he would overlook their errors. He would overlook their craziness. Uh, he'd, he'd forget about their uh, madness and think of them and look at them as these beautiful, perfect, innocent creations of God uh, that were perfectly one with God. And there's a couple of good reasons for you to do that. Uh, it's because of the way that the mind works. Uh, if you could get down deep enough into the mind, you would realize that uh, Carl Jung was right, that there's really just one mind, and he described it as a collective unconscious. Uh, the reason that it's collective is because we all share it, and we all have the same mind because there's really just one of us. Uh, you know, we look out there, we see <clears throat> billions of people, but that's an illusion. The truth is there's just one of us, as the Hindus would put it, you know, the one you know, appearing as many. Now, if there's really just one of us, and uh, you have to realize that your unconscious mind knows everything, it would have to, because that's where the, you know, projection of a universe of time and space is coming from in the first place. One of the things that it knows is that there's really just one of us, which means that it will interpret anything that you think about another person to really be about you. Now, that's a pretty sobering thought. You know, people wonder why they're depressed. They wonder why they're not happy. Just look at the garbage they've been thinking their whole lives about yeah. other people and about the world, uh, which was, you know, me as a teenager. I knew I was a know-it-all. I knew everything. I judged everything. That's why I ended up being depressed. You know, because whatever you're putting out there, it's really just going to you. It's not going to anybody else. There isn't anybody right. else. 
you know, that's why the Course says, and this is a law of the mind that people should, you know, have uh, on their refrigerator every morning and look at it. You know, the Course says, as you see him, you will see yourself. And it must be pretty important because then it says, never forget this. You know, in that person, you will either find yourself or lose yourself. And uh, as you know, there are billions of people out there every day who are losing themselves because they don't understand that what they are thinking is not going to anybody else. It's going right into their own unconscious mind. And if you're thinking that other people are guilty and that they really did it, then you will believe in your unconscious mind that you are guilty and that you really did it. And by really did it, I mean you're going to believe that you really separated yourself from God and that everything that you ever did, any unkind word that you ever said in every lifetime that you ever appeared to live really happened and that you're really guilty. But if you can change the way that you think and think of that person as being what they really are, then you can change even your own identity as you will see it and believe that it is. And the Course says that very specifically in the last section. It says, uh, choose once again what you would have him be, knowing that every choice you make will establish your own identity as you will see it and believe that it is. So if I'm believing that you are this perfect creation of God, I'm overlooking your errors. I'm realizing that I made up this dream, that I'm not at the effect of it, I'm not a victim, which is why the Course says I am not a victim of the world I see. And if I can think of you as being what you really are, which is perfect oneness with God, then slowly but surely, that is how I will come to experience myself. And uh, fortunately, I got into the habit of doing that quite a while ago. Yeah. And today, I do not experience myself as being a body. I do not experience myself as being separate from God or uh, God's creation. I can look at people with love, even when they're acting crazy, even when they're saying outrageously ridiculous things, uh, even when that politician comes on the TV screen, who I may not agree with about things, I do not have to make it real. And I know that if I see that person as what they really are, instead of what they think they are, because they think that they're a body. You know, they think that that's really them. Right. And if I can overlook that and remember what they really are, then simultaneously I'm remembering what I really am and where I really am and how I'm in control. You know, I can control the way that I'm going to feel. And I know that the results of that forgiveness is really going to me. So uh, the next time you feel tempted, and by the way, the ego's uh, you know, temptation is a little bit bigger than the way that we think of it. Uh, in that final section of the course, it says, you know, temptation has one lesson it would teach uh, in all its forms, wherever it occurs. It would persuade the Holy Son of God, he is a body, you know, born and must die, unable to escape its frailty, and bound by what it orders him to feel. You know, so now the body is telling us what to feel. Well, it should be the other way around because your body is just a projection that is uh, coming from your mind, just like everything else is. And the truth is you're not in a body. Uh, you never have been. Uh, that is an optical illusion. Just like Einstein put it, he, he said that a person's experience is like an optical delusion of consciousness. Uh, you're not even in a body. You never have been. You don't ever really incarnate. It just looks that way. Right. Because and ego, ego is very clever and very good at what it does. 
Absolutely. And and on that note, Gary, I want to make sure that we let folks know that if they want to take this work deeper with you, that you actually will be doing an event through East West Bookshop. Um, East West Bookshop, of course, is located in Seattle, but they have adapted to current circumstances and have taken their events online. And Gary is one of those events. Um, if you would like to participate. The workshop is called Experiencing the Real World Through Enlightenment. It's Wednesday, June 24th, uh, and it will go from 5 to 7 p.m. Pacific. Um, and it is at eastwestbookshop.com to register for that. And um, Gary, do you want me to just read the description of what folks can expect, or would you like to speak to that in our final couple minutes? Uh, yes, you can read the uh, description. I just want to mention that I was going to do a live uh, workshop for East West. And uh, because of the coronavirus, we decided, you know, it was too soon. Yeah. And uh, so we changed it to an online event, which I'm really looking forward to on June 24th. And it's open to anybody uh, anywhere. So uh, yeah, if you could read the description, I just wanted people to know that, you know, this will be the first real workshop that I've done uh, online on Zoom. And I'm really looking forward to it. Absolutely, yes. So for those of you out there interested, what you can expect, um, the real world has nothing to do with the body's eyes, but is a state of mind unlike anything you've experienced before. In this workshop, you will learn the meaning of the real world, how to get there, and what it represents. True forgiveness, the central theme that runs throughout A Course in Miracles, is the key to spiritual vision, joy, and the attainment of peace, which you will learn are naturally yours as you undo the belief in separation from your source. Uh, join Gary as he explores with you walking the bridge to the real world where the gift of spiritual sight is restored to your awareness. Um, and Gary, I just I have to thank you so much uh, for being here today. Of course, I have been joined here um, by Gary Renard, who is the best-selling author of the Disappearance of the Universe trilogy. Um, the most recent book that we uh, touched on here today, The Lifetimes When Jesus and Buddha Knew Each Other, is fascinating, and I highly recommend it. And of course, the event that I just mentioned, of course, is done through East West Bookshop through Zoom, and that's at eastwestbookshop.com to register. And that's on Wednesday, June 24th. It is from 5 to 7 p.m. Um, and yeah, Gary, thank you so much for being here today. It is such an honor to speak with you. Well, uh, it's my pleasure, Sonny, and uh, I salute you because you give people the chance to speak. You know, you're not always jumping in and uh, kind of like interrupting people, and I, I really think that that is very helpful to everybody. Yes, well, and, and I'm so glad that you were able to share so much about the course. And um, unfortunately for live radio, we have more parameters than, say, a podcast. But we at least got to go um, deep on a few places. So uh, I encourage everyone to uh, check out Gary's event. Um, that is, again, eastwestbookshop.com. And um, Gary, thanks again. And for everyone else out there, take care, be well, and I will see you next week. This is Sunny Joy signing off for Sunny in Seattle.